all the women would laugh so hard they would cry. And the men would be like, you know, guffawing. And I wanted to know. So I said, I couldn't stand that. I didn't know what was going on. I couldn't stand to miss out on all this stuff, all this fun and all this information. I felt like I was an outsider. And then I, and, and I want to give this as encouragement for anybody that's learning a language. There's going to come a day when suddenly you're not on the outside anymore. Suddenly you're on the inside. Welcome to Moto di Bere, the podcast about local drinks and local sayings. I'm your host, Rose Thomas Bannister. And I'm very excited to introduce you to today's guest, Michaela Mussolino. Michaela is an internationally recognized Sicilian-American folk singer who learned about the Sicilian language from her grandparents. Now she specializes in the folk songs of Sicily and Southern Italy. From her home base in Memphis, Tennessee, Michaela travels all over the world, sharing her music at folk festivals and working as an artist in residence. She is also the founder of Rosa's Drum, a cultural events and educational organization which promotes and teaches folk traditions from Sicily, Southern Italy, and around the world. Michaela, welcome. We have so much to talk about. Thank you for having me. So this is the podcast for local drinks and local sayings. I would like to start off the interview by asking you to share a piece of local language with us. And I would love for you to just take us back to the beginning. Tell us about your childhood with your grandparents. Are there sayings or words you remember from, from your time with them? Here's how you have to know my story is that I my story is very typical of many most Italian-Americans in that um, you know, the sounds of the dialects were the first things I ever heard in the home. Um, my parents, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles, even some cousins. And we always had, you know, somebody in the family was always marrying an Italian. So there's always like a new generation of an Italian immigrant in the family. But they did that so that our generation wouldn't understand what they were saying. That's why they had privacy. They could codify words. You know, it was like speaking in code. So we had... Um, and also, like most Italian-Americans, they're, they're, they were great storytellers. And their traditions and their stories were the one thing they really all brought over with them. So we had in our family amazing, amazing storytellers. And they would have, you know, family gatherings where this, you know, I remember my, my mom's cousin, um, uh, they used to call him, Aqu his name was Aquila, you know, cousin Aquila. But they also called him Andre because he was a hairdresser. He went by the name of Mr. Andre. And he was a real comedian. He was just tell these amazing stories. And all the women would laugh so hard they would cry. And the men would be like, you know, guffawing. And I wanted to know. So my dad would, you know, translate for me. And I said, I couldn't stand that. I said, I couldn't stand that. I didn't know what was going on. And then I spent a lot of time just always hung out with my dad. I was, you know, my dad was constantly with Italians. He was always speaking Italian. So people would talk to me in Italian and expect me to respond. And I said, I can't do this. I, I got to, I have to do something. So as soon as I could, when I was about a teenager, I started, I started taking college lessons so I could learn Italian because I used to try to learn from the, we had Berlitz books and records. So my, I would have my mother try to teach me. Um, and I, when I started studying in school, I actually, eventually when I did go to college full time, um, I made it, it was my major. And then what I did at that point, I used to go to my grandmother's house, my mom's mom, and I would sit with her Every Friday afternoon, I did this for four, more than four years, actually, because um, I did it even after I graduated. And 
she would just give me Italian lessons. And she remembered so much poetry. That was something she turned me on to poetry. She remembered all these poems that she had to memorize when she was a little girl in Palermo. And I still have some of the poems that she would write out for me in longhand. I still have those papers with her oh. hand, her beautiful hand. She was in her 90s. That's and amazing. She had this amazing hand. Because I always do that with those, the Palmer method, they called it, that handwriting, the beautiful flowery handwriting. So that was my journey because I couldn't stand to miss out on all this stuff, all this fun and all this information. I felt like I was an outsider. And then I, and, and I want to give this as encouragement for anybody that's learning a language. There's going to come a day when suddenly you're not on the outside anymore. Suddenly you're on the inside mm. and you look around and you say, look at this. I know what's going on. I can understand. This is pretty incredible. Um, and it, it does happen. And uh, that was my journey. And it wasn't even that, you know, I wasn't a singer yet. I, I, that wasn't even something, but this journey with the singing has taken me back completely because I sing in dialects and I have to know the dialects and, and, and because not every song comes from the same place, there's so many variations. So I'm learning all these variations in the Sicilian dialect. And for many years, I was going back to um, the Provincia di Trapani. I was going to um, Salinunte and Castelvetrano. And it got to the point where when I would say things in Sicilian or sing, people would say to me, you know, you have an accent <laughs> that sounds like Castelvetrano and, and Trapani. And it, it just, you know, how life changed. I, you know, I, I don't have a, an accent from Palermo. I don't have... Um, so that's kind of, that's my story. That's kind of what happened to me. That's amazing. I wonder, you know, I as far as saying, I I feel like I should ask you for let's let's change gears on that. Let's ask for you for can you share with us a, just a line of poetry or a song lyric that you think is really charming and wonderful? Oh, okay. It's not in Sicilian, it's in Italian. That's and fine. It's this poem my grandmother used to recite for me that and she made me I, I memorize it and it was about the swallows. And I love, love, love swallows. Um, and my friends have my friends have a house in Salinunte, and it's built into the cliff on the water in front of the ocean. So the houses that are next to them, all the swallows make their nests in the um, under the eaves. And when they have the babies, you can see the little heads poke out. And when my daughter was born, she was born with a full head of hair and a widow's peak, and she has she was like Snow White. She had like white, white, white skin, olive complexion, but very, very light. And this black hair. And she used to look like, to me, she looked like a little, those little swallows when they poke their heads out. So this was always a poem that I love swallows even before my daughter came. Um, this is Rondinella Pellegrina, che ti posse su Verona, che vuoi dirmi, Rondinella, into a flebile canzone. And it's um, the swallow that sits on the, on the, uh, on the parapet. On the, uh, what do you want to tell me in your beautiful song? Um, and I love that poem. And I always remember my grandmother telling me that. I was like 19, I think, when I learned that. Rondinella Pellegrina. Actually, it's um, Rondinella Pellegrina is the pilgrim because the swallows, they make those big uh, migrations. So they're mm. pilgrims. And I have to say, um, when we moved to Memphis, we were in the house like about a day. My daughter moved here with me and we went for a walk in the neighborhood. And a block away, there's a house that has those gourds for the purple martins. Purple martins are swallows. They're the local swallows. So we walked here and we it was just at the end of their summer season. They're just getting ready to start migrating. And I look up and I see all these swallows. I'm like, oh, we're home. Oh. So and that has to block away. So that's beautiful. I loved how your your voice just became this beautiful deep voice the second you started to read the poetry. It's just, you know, it's interesting. We 
when we change into a different mode. And that is a beautiful poem. Thank you so much for sharing that. It, there's actually, and I, I, here I am thinking we're going to talk only about Southern Italy, um, but there is a grape called Rondinella, and it's one of the grapes for the mm. wines in the Valpolicella region in really? Northern Italy, like one of the grapes that is in, um, that is in uh, Amarone which is a wine a lot of people would be familiar with. And when I met a winemaker from Valpolicella, she told me about how a lot of the um, grape names there are the names of different birds. And it's because of the shape of the bunch of grapes resembling different birds. And there's an even more famous grape, Merlot, which in French means blackbird. So it's not the only place where bunches of grapes were compared to bird names. So there you go, people. We've got wine. We've got language. These two things definitely go together. So that's that's wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, speaking of drinks, um, local drinks, do you remember anything kind of fun from your childhood? Let's talk about your experience here, actually. You're you're in the United States with your family who's come from southern Italy. What did they do to with drinks to stay connected to home, to their homeland? Here's where I have to tell you, I, I feel like I am... Um, I'm astonished when I when I talk to people about wines or when people talk about wines or when I see the wine industry. I, it's astonishing to me because I remember as a little girl, um, you know, my grandpa used to make wine. Um, so that was something that was in my family, this tradition of winemaking. And but it wasn't just my grandfather wasn't a singular person. Everybody made wine. Mm. That was what we did. And you know, especially like, you know, we drank wine out of jelly glasses. And I, I think there's a lot of people that are saying, oh, I know how old she is. We drank wine out of jelly. We didn't have fancy glasses for wine. That was unheard of that you had to have a special shaped glass for certain wines. That's insane. I've seen people pull up to restaurants with their own special glasses to drink wine. And because they feel that the, the restaurant doesn't have the exact glasses because the wine will taste better. And, and this is blowing my mind that wine has become this industry, even in Italy, because again, wine, you know, and also wine used to come because it was homemade, used to come in these giant jugs and we used to be gifted wine. And every man that made wine was so proud of it that he had to give you a gallon. So we always had wine in our house. It always was made by somebody. It was a gift and it was it was just like part of our daily life. It wasn't anything, oh, we have this special wine from this region and we have this special, and it blows my mind that wine has become so high tech, so specialized. Um, and, and I, and this is all just, you know, if you think about it, this really, you know, the last 100 years, the last 50 years, the last 25 years, how the wine industry has has changed and how it's constantly developing. So, you know, I look at this and, and I'm like, I'm just like kind of scratching my head. Like, I, I, did I get left behind here? And and I'm not. And, and you know, we always were as kids, we were allowed to drink. We were always given like a little bit of wine. It wasn't anything or if the dads were drinking beer, were given a little bit of beer. It wasn't anything forbidden to us. It was very natural. Um and like I said, grapes were part of our, our tradition. And my grandpa, outside of his house on the, around the patio, he had a grape barber and it was a pergola. It was the grape barber grew all around the patio. So every Sunday when we were at grandpa's house, we would sit on the patio in the good weather 
and we were underneath this pergola of grapes. So when the grapes were ripe, if we were lucky, um, one of the grownups would grab some and give it to us because we were not allowed to touch it. And, um, and my cousins talk about this too. My older cousins say, remember how good those grapes, they were Concord grapes, by the way, grandpa grew Concord grapes in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Um, and everybody said, remember how good those grapes tasted? And my one, my oldest cousin said, well, yeah, because they were forbidden fruit. We weren't allowed to touch it. If the grownups gave it to us, we could have it. Um, but I just, and I can, I can still feel the sun coming through the vines on our backs and how, how we all sat there. And I can still smell the way those vines smell on, and how it was. It was Sunday afternoon under, under the pergola at grandpa's house with these grapes. And, um, and I remember when, after my grandpa died, when they got rid of his, his, uh, his wine barrels, you know, that mm. was like, it was, it was, you, you, you felt a shift, you knew there was something shifting, but, um, like I said, it, it, up until maybe about 20 years ago, still the wine was still like a thing where it was still gifted before it got so specialized. And I know, like, I have a friend of mine out in California, in Oakland, a Sicilian American who makes wine and it's so high tech what he in his house what he's doing it's so high tech i've been there when he's been making the wine too and i'm delighted but i'm also like wow this is so different than what we used to do when i was a kid you know well um, let me just say that you were not left behind or left out of anything you were having the most genuine experience that i can imagine and uh yeah i really would actually love to do some other podcast episodes exploring the history of how italian immigrants really influenced and in a lot of ways started the wine industry in particularly on the west coast i mean everybody because yeah, and you know why it's because everyone did just what you're describing michaela everybody planted some sangiovese in their in their yard you know yeah. in on whatever land they had of course each person would be growing and making their own grapes i can't think of anything more authentic and wonderful than drinking a wine made by your grandfather, made by your friend, brought over in a jug and drunk out of a jelly glass. You know, fancy is in the eye of the beholder. That sounds very <laughs> special to me. Uh, one note for listeners about the wine glasses. You know, I, I feel like there was definitely a moment I love that story of, oh, my God, the person showing up with their own special shaped glasses at the shop. Now, I'll, I'll tell you one thing for myself. You know, listen, if I was over at your family's house drinking their wine from a jelly jar, I would be on cloud nine. There's an English saying for you, cloud nine. Don't know what that means. But uh, I, I like a stem and I, I do like to kind of maintain the temperature. So I do like a stem glass and I you know, I like a bowl on the glass that's just, it doesn't have to be one of those huge, huge 90s giant red wine bowl glasses. Just any kind of, any basic wine glass is, that's not too tiny and has a stem. That's all you need, people. The, you know, they'll they'll sell you a glass for every different wine shape. And if there's a tradition going back about that, you know, then I think that's neat too. But it should never, that should, the wine glass thing, that doesn't need to be a form of intimidation for people. You can, you can just just get yourself a wine glass and relax about that. If that's a, if that's something that people are feeling like, oh, I'm doing it wrong. I I feel like I, hopefully <laughs> that ship has sailed with the 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 seventeen different sizes of wine glasses for well, every little Rose, thing. Can I tell you something? Um, I'm, I've traveled a lot through Italy, all throughout North and South. I'm very fortunate singing in all these different places, and I. Typically, um, in, when you perform in Italy, they feed you and they give you wine. And I really don't drink. 
I'm very limited in what I can do. I, I can drink vino nuovo, which is that nice um, kind of like frizzy, you know, fizzy kind of drink. I can drink it. It doesn't bother me. And I love that. And I drink that, you know, in the, when I'm out in the countryside. But regular wines, I kind of just taste them and I, I, I pass them on to my friends. My friends love going out with me because they get extra wine. They get my wine. Um, but one of the most wonderful things I love is when I'm in the um, in northern Italy. It's it's usually it's around. I believe it's Emilia Romagna, the Lombardia, and Emilia Romagna has um, they call it, uh, Gutornio. I hope I'm saying it right. Gutornio. It's um, it's like a Lambrusco, mm. uh, so it's fizzy. So it's a new wine. It's a younger wine, but you drink it out of a bowl. Wow. You drink it out of a bowl, and they call it a scodella. I've never heard of this. So you go into the, you know, you go into the restaurant and, you know, it's, it's, you're out in the middle of the country and the, you know, the placemats are just like paper, you know, brown paper, that kind of stuff. And they put the bowl and they pour this wine. And I have to tell you, see, there's a thing too, like we use wine in Sicily, we use wine as medicine too. Um, so if you feel sick, what one of the things they do is, and a friend of mine taught me this, is you take the, the young wine, the new wine, and you boil it down with honey and then you drink it like a syrup. You drink it warm like a syrup, and that helps people. And I have to tell you, like a lot of times when I travel, um, when I go to Italy, northern Italy in the fall, and I don't know why this is, we can't figure this out. When I go to northern Italy in the fall, I usually have a cold. I don't know why. I usually land with a cold. I have no idea why that is. But if I have this wine in my little porringer, my little scodella, I feel great. It like it just pushes it out. It's also usually accompanied by um, uh, something called pico di cavallo pico di cavallo which is uh, a horse meat ragu um, which is also really good and it's when it's nice and warm so that's you know so i i still think of wine very much like that it's it's essential and it's you know it's a healing element um and you know and i know a lot of times in the south we there's an old expression too all throughout something uh, vino fa sangue wine makes blood and you know there's a lot of truth to that because mm. you know for people that were typically anemic there's iron in the wine. So uh, there's those kind of, there's that idea in my head too, that, you know, um, it also, it's like, well, I get it. That wine is very commercial product now, but wine is also essential and it's, it's a healing. It's a, it's a means of healing too. So. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for, for sharing that, that saying with us. And you um, have some wonderful stories about about wine from from all over Italy. That's that's gorgeous. I love it. Let's talk a little bit about your music. Oh, but first, I've got to say it's kind of fun because I don't know. It, I'm sure everybody has seen the logo of of Moto di Bere, which is this woman having a little conversation with her wine glass, and the the wine is, glass is talking to her. The wine is sloshing out of the wine uh, out of the glass, and then there's kind of a background which kind of looks like a wine stain on a tablecloth, and uh, you know, I'm not Italian, but I do talk with my hands. And, you know, so that's that's a great image for me. Definitely when I get excited, I've definitely had the wine glass in my hand and sloshed the wine right out of the glass. So I got to tell you, you're talking with your hands a lot. I want to make sure you don't bump the microphone. Bump the <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's it's wonderful. I was thinking, oh, I, I'm going to give Michaela this instruction and, and then I'm going to edit it out. But I just actually want to give our listeners this visual of um, of your, your hands, you know, rubbing around. So try not to tap the microphone. I wouldn't know how to talk without the <laughs> no, Did you not sit on your hands? Just, uh, you know, try not to bump it. And uh, let's let's transition into talking about your beautiful music. So you have 
several beautiful records out. Thank you. The latest is called La Noti Triunfanti. And this is your Christmas album, correct? Yep. So I'd love to play a song right now from that record um, called Suta Unpedi. And then, uh, Michaela, I'd love for you to take us through some of the specific words in that song so we can we can talk about language. Okay. Wow, that's that's such a beautiful song, Michaela. I would love you to talk to us a little bit about some of the language. This is, um, as you mentioned, it's from the Christmas album, and this is also one of my favorite songs because there's a, a it's a beautiful image. It's sutumperi, means um, we could translate it kind of roughly as like under the bough or under the trunk of the tree, um, 
at the, or at the foot of the tree. Uh, and each verse talks about a different kind of tree. So it starts out, Sutumpedi di Nuciddi. Uh, Nuciddi would be nocciola, so under the bough of a hazelnut tree. Um, Sutumpedi di Lumia, a kind of lemon tree. Sutumpedi di Cirasa, ciliegie, cherry tree. And it's a different uh, telling. It's Each verse talks about a little bit about when Christ was born. So um, let me see. It would start out um, under the bough of the, the nocciola, under the bough of the hazelnut tree. There's a little baby is born. And he's in, you know, he's being cradled and it's, there's St. Joseph and San Joachim. We know San Joachim was baby Jesus's grandpa. So when you have these, typically why I love these old, uh, these Christmas songs from Sicily is because what they do is they take these, they take God, Jesus and, and God and all the saints, people that were larger than life and, and very distant, right? Because, you know, um, but and they make them human. And they give them traits that are very relatable. Who couldn't understand that there's a little baby that somebody's cradling? Who couldn't understand that he's with his dad and his grandpa? And each verse talks about like like under the under the lemon tree, it says there's a there's a woman that and what she does like she's she's swaddling the baby, and she's putting you know she that's Mary and she's swaddling little baby Jesus. And my favorite verse in this is that um, when it gets to the part where it's saying that under the cherry tree, Saint Joseph builds a house. But he doesn't build this house with brick and mortar. He builds this house with love. And I just get all the happy and, and tingly and goofy when I hear this because these images are so human and so sweet. And it's this song is reminiscent of a lullaby. And what I did at the end of this song um, is I start singing. There, You hear me singing, like vocalizing. It sounds like I'm just saying similar. What that is, is I added, those syllables actually come from Sicilian lullabies. And since we're talking about language, um, Sicilian lullabies, typically you hear things like lavo, abobo, ao, eralao. Um, and there's different ideas where that comes from. The idea is that it was, you know, typically with a lullaby, we use sounds that are soothing to a baby, that are repetitive and soothing. And it's believed that this ao sound comes from the Greek and the word for dawn. It comes, and eventually that, that word from the Greek became aurora, aua, sleep till dawn. Um, and that was just the continuation of, of constantly how that, that sound evolved through the years. Um, so that's the, the background of that song. It's, it's meant to be very sweet. It's meant to um, kind of tell the Christmas story in very human terms that make it very relatable. That is so beautiful. Thank you so much. I, I just, I just love that. That's great. Um, I'm a mother myself and, and thinking of that, the image of the cradling and the, the wish for someone to sleep until dawn uh, is, is super beautiful. And, and the song is so amazing. I, would love to, we will put this in the show notes as well. And I want to ask you some more questions about, about Sicilian folk traditions. But first, let's just say right now, where can our listeners uh, go to purchase your music? They can come to my website, michelamazzolino.com. And you can get my CD, you can get physical copies of my CDs. All my CDs are available for download on my website. And of course, you could always, you could always listen, like you can get them from iTunes, that kind of stuff. However, when you buy the CDs from my website, you get the actual download of the album. So um, you get all the liner notes. Um, this particular album, my Christmas album, the physical 
album comes with a booklet and a link to the translation that has the booklet has all the the stories of the songs and the lyrics and then it also has a link that translates the lyrics into english um if you buy the download off my website you get all that as a download as well and the same thing for my other albums if there are liner notes um my album uh, terra sangue mare which has the white cover with the three heads on it that is that also comes with um there's a booklet uh that comes with the download. If you buy the physical CD, you get the link to the, to the website that has all that, um, or the liner notes are on the other album. So that is, um, the benefit. It's the same price, whether you buy a download from me or when you buy it from Apple, but you get stuff when you get it from me. So, but I prefer, I, I tell people to like, I, I do this a lot at shows when I try to encourage people to buy albums or, or records or CDs. I say, always remember if you buy a physical copy of the music, you will own it forever. And no corporation will ever erase it from your playlist. And I'm looking at your background with all those albums, and I'm really jealous, and I want to come to your house and listen to your albums. <laughs> oh, well, listen, of course we're going to spend time together the next time <laughs> you're in New York, and we should play We should play a show yes. together. I'm, I'm a folk singer as well. I, I haven't talked about it a lot on the, on the podcast yet. I'm kind of focusing on my, my world in, in, in uh, wine and language with this project, but obviously there's a lot of music involved. We're telling stories about culture. There's always going to be music. Real quick, if you're a fan of the Moto D. Berry podcast, please take a moment now Go to Apple Podcasts and leave the show a five-star rating and write a review. It really helps with visibility for the show, and I really appreciate it. We'll be here when you get back. I was going to ask you first to talk about Sicily and then to talk a little bit about connecting uh, Southern Italian folk music to American folk music traditions. But maybe we can start mm -hmm. there. You know, you're you're a Sicilian American and you live in Memphis, Tennessee. So how how have you found those two folk traditions speaking to each other? And how has that played out in the music that you make and the people you make music with? Well, it's... It's kind of, I, I guess I can say like, things have come full circle now. And, you know, I, I've never forgotten that I am, first and foremost, I'm American. I was born and raised here. And it's always been uh, kind of like living in two worlds, you know, and kind of having two um, aesthetics, I guess you could say, um, or two sensitivities or sensibilities. And I, also with that is, you know, I, I understand that folk, you know, folk traditions have a certain sound. I get that. Um, but I also understand that folk music evolves and folk music has influences and everybody that sings a folk song changes it and influences it. So, um, I've, you know, I've, I've tried to, sometimes I keep a song as basic as I can, as close to a field recording or a tradition as I can. But sometimes you, you have a different way to express the song. You say, you know, I, it sounds like this to me, or this is the feeling I get from it. And this is what I want to convey. So there's been that mixture. And when you work with different musicians, there's two ways to do it. You can be a philologist about everything. So no, it has to sound like this. And this is what, but I don't like to do that because I, I've been very fortunate that I always work with really talented musicians who have all created a sound. And I try to tell them, I said, look, this is what I need from you. 
I need you to get me to one, keep me in tune. I need, you know, I need, you know, I need support when I sing. But when there's space, I said, I want to hear you. What are you going to bring to this? And that's what I think makes it so interesting. And, you know, and to give you an example, when we were in the studio on uh, some of the songs for La Notte Triunfanti, there's a fiddle, beautiful violin playing by this wonderful uh, lady from Memphis, Alice Hasten. She's amazing. And when she walked into the studio, she said, well, I've been, she was so excited because she loves to work with folk tradition. She said, well, I've been trying to listen to Sicilian and, and Italian music so I could figure out this. And we're like, no, we want to hear you. We want to hear what Alice can do. Don't worry. We'll bring the Sicilian. Don't worry about that. We want you to, to put what you are in this song. We're like, don't, don't try to be what you're not. Just, just, we, we got you here for a reason. We want to hear your sound. Um, so that's what I, I try to bring. And what I'm exploring now especially that I'm in Memphis, is that I'm, I'm exploring um, how these traditions evolved when they came here to the U.S. and what did, what did the Italian immigrants do once they got here? And I'm, I'm kind of reaching out a little bit into even some American songs that were uh, written by Italians. Like I, I did a concert a couple months ago and I said, this, you know, I'm in Tennessee now. This is a famous song in Tennessee. It's one of country music's most famous songs. Um, but it's uh, written by a Sicilian woman, and that's Rocky Top. And what happened now, again, like I said, coming full circle, is that I worked with, I had the wonderful opportunity to work with one of my favorite groups from Sicily, Ibedji, when they were here in New York in the fall. And they love American traditions, and they incorporate some of them, as you know, as traditional as they are with their Sicilian music, and they have the Zampogna on stage, and they have all, you know, all traditional instruments, and the friscaletto, and the organetto, and the mandolino, but you know, all of a sudden, you'll sit I said, my gosh, that's a Johnny Cash song, they just inserted a verse of Johnny Cash, and so we decide, we're starting now to pick songs to collaborate with, uh, Italian and American songs, to put, to mix those two, and I said, this is what I, you know, I want to put a tarantella in this country song, and I want to, you know, put this here, in this Italian song, um, so that's kind of how the music is evolving. Um, the beauty of this music, and and this is something we have um, a source of music in Sicily called the Corpus Favara, and it was uh, Alberto Favara in the late nineteen hundred, late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds, documented a lot of traditions, and he left us a beautiful, beautiful body of work to help us to give us, uh, you know, he he made arrangements for these songs, basic arrangements, not you know, and. And you can pretty much be free with them, but that's how a lot of us, that's our, our touchstone. Even the great Rosa Balestreri um, had a copy of the Corpus Favara. Um, and what that does, the way he made these arrangements is that you can do pretty much anything you want with these songs. You can take, the, take those notes and pretty much fly all around and in and through them and create what you want. And that's, typically folk music so what i try to do with the songs is keep keep the basic structure and then let the song tell me what it wants me to express and how and what sounds we want um and that could even be instrumentation too because um, i work with all different i work with you know sometimes i'll work with somebody who wants to use an electric guitar or an electric bass or an upright bass or um on la notte triunfanti the first time i recorded with uh, a piano player and organs, you know, it's the first time I ever did that with this music. Um, I just did a tour and it was primarily, my accompaniment was primarily guitar and accordion, which was a lot of fun. But I always, you know, I try to always keep the drum because the drum is the backbone. 
um, the drum is the backbone of the sound for this stuff. So I saw a picture of you with this uh, beautiful, beautiful painted drum. And I would love for you to tell us about that drum and to, can you go through the traditional Sicilian instruments one by one and describe them to us a bit? I think they're so cool. Well, the drum you saw is probably the one with the Medusa head on it. And that was made by a wonderful Sicilian musician by the name of Carmelo Traina. And what happened is he literally saw me on um, the internet and said, you know, I make drums. You should have one of my drums. I'm like, okay, make me a drum. And I explained to him what I wanted and how I wanted it. And then he said, well, what do you want to do now for the, I said, well, let's make it red. And I said, can you put prickly pear ficurini around it? And he said, how about, would you like to have, because he had a, he had a, a drum with a beautiful Medusa. I said, I love that graphic. And Medusa sometimes is included in the symbol for Sicily, the, the Trinacria, which is the head and the three legs coming out. Sometimes it's Ceres. Cerere, the the earth mother of um, of the harvest, and she'll have like wheat coming out of her head. But sometimes they use the Medusa head, and Medusa head sometimes is also used on the the scuderi, the old as a like a, a shield. The Sicilian frame drum is a little bit larger than in other areas. It's um, the head is typically about fifteen or sixteen inches in diameter. But the thickness of the wooden ring around it is a little bit thinner than, let's say, for example, a Neapolitan drum. It may, a Neapolitan drum may have the same um, diameter of the head, but the, the frame around it is going to be much bigger. Um, and the Sicilian drum would, of course, be made out of goat skin, and it would have jingles. And it's very light. It would be a very light drum because it's, um, you need to keep it light because of the rhythm, the Sicilian tarantella rhythm. And each region in southern Italy has a specific um, rhythm that's identified with their folk music. And that's the rhythm that you'll hear predominantly. Um, that doesn't mean that we don't borrow rhythms, especially, you know, folk musicians always borrow rhythms from other areas. But there is typically one kind of, one style of drumming that creates a specific sound that's indicative of that tradition. And it's, you know, in Sicily, the tradition of the drumming we know it goes back to antiquity, and we know that from ancient writings that talk about it, and we know it from um, pictures on ancient artifacts. And it was always in the realm of the women, and they were like the priestesses of the religious rituals, and they drove those rituals with their drumming. And they were, we call them the sacerdotessa, the, the, uh, the priestesses, really, that's how it translates. And into modern times, that tradition kept up so we might not have they might not have been uh, typically religious ritual but if there was a festival or a party it was the women drumming and it was the drumming that drove the festival and in contemporary times drumming kind of got to the realm of the men became like a man's thing but women are drumming again there's a lot of great great drummers in sicily and um because it it, it has these origins in the feminine, it's considered a feminine instrument. And I had the the, the great fortune and, uh, and, and privilege, the honor really, of working with um, and studying with Michele Piccione and Massimo LaGuardia, two great drummers from Sicily. And they both have a very specific um, opinion or attitude towards the drum, that the drum is feminine itself. And because it's feminine, you have to treat it with a, a great respect and you have to Evoke, you have to kind of um, evoke sound out of it. You don't just beat it. You have to caress it in a way so that you're, you're coaxing sound out of it and you're not harming it. 
And and I love that because they they really consider the drum as, as as the equivalent of like a woman. And they said you don't you would never hit a woman, but you you know there's a way to get sound out. And they and and it's interesting because because of that I kind of I'm, I'm wary of people that just like bang on drums. I'm like mm, okay. I watch how like I watch when people pick up a drum. Like how do they hold it? Um, but uh, this is a sound. But the drum is is indicative. It's 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 highly uh, it's it's the backbone of the Sicilian folk tradition. And I have to say something that if I could add this in. A couple months ago, I was uh, making a presentation at Montclair State University to the Italian students there. And the professor, Dr. Gina Miele, is a dear old friend of mine. And she's been studying drumming. And I've been, she's my, one of my students and uh, she's doing great. And she brought, she had me bring a lot of extra drums with me and she brought all her drums. And we got the kids up in the class just drumming that day, which was wonderful. And I, I was so happy to see these people that had never touched this instrument before. They were taking it and, and evoking sound out of it. And it was amazing how sometimes in a collective, you can achieve more than you can with just like individual instructions. So that was a lot of fun that these traditions are, uh, are still pretty much um, floating around there. And they're, they're picked up quite readily, which is really, it, it tells us kind of how natural these traditions are. Another instrument, obviously, is the mandolin. That's a, a, a big tradition. In Sicily, we have what we call the, the maranzano, uh, the jaws harp or juice harp. Um, it's that little, that makes that little springy sound that you hear sometimes in Sicilian music. Um, and it's, um, it's also a very ancient instrument. Every, and pretty much every nation has some variation on that instrument, believe it or not. They even have them, I believe, in like Indonesia, and they're made out of bamboo. Um, so those are two sounds that are really indicative of Sicilian music. And we have something else, the cane flute, or it's made out of reed, a, 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 cane, a reed of cane, and it's called a friscaletto. And when it's made properly and played properly, it sounds absolutely heavenly, uh, like like the chirping of a, of a sweet bird. Uh, when it's not made right and it's not played right, it's not so good. <laughs> but the friscaletto is is also indicative. That that specific flute, um, and it's a very light, airy sound. And that the original flutes were actually made out of bird bone. Wow! And that's where they get the original flutes. And in fact, there's an ancient, ancient story, ossa che canta, the bones, oh, le ossa che canta, the bones that the bones that sing, and I learned of this um, fairy tale, this folk tale, as a Sicilian version. But I've learned through the years is that other regions of southern Italy also have a variation on this. And the, the gist of the story is there's a king that has two children, a young daughter and an older son. And he says, I will give my kingdom to whoever can find the feather of this specific bird, this, this special feather. And the little girl finds it. And when the brother understands that she found that feather first, he kills her takes the feather, says to the king, you know, I found the feather. And time goes by and a shepherd um, hears reeds singing. And he hears the reeds singing and he finds like, that, that it's, there's like a bone or, or he, hears a, he finds a bone and he plays it, like makes it into a flute and it sings. So there's two versions, one with the bone and one with the reed. In both, he either takes the bone or he takes the reed and he makes a flute out of it. And as he plays the flute, it says that the it sings the song that said, you know, I was my father's favorite. I found the feather, but my brother is the one who killed me. So the, the shepherd goes to the king 
and tells the story what happened. And then there's justice exactly. Because in all those old fairy tales, justice always, justice always is served. Justice is never not served in an old fairy tale, which is, we should go back to that. Um, and that's the story. So it, it ties in with that idea of this ancient instrument, whether it came from the reed, for, you know, the reed, but originally it came from the bones of the birds. Um, and then, of course, we have guitar. Um, we have um, the organetto. And of course, we have in Sicily the bagpipes. We have a version called the zampogna. And the same thing with the bagpipes. When they are made out of the right wood, and when they're played by the right person, they are so sweet. And people don't necessarily think bag think of bagpipes with sweet music, but Sicilian bagpipes can be the most beautiful sound you've ever heard. It's it's astonishing. And I've had people even say to me, like, you know, when they will hear my friends play, they'll say, "What? Well, I, I that's a bagpipe? Like, how is that possible?" I said, "Well, this is a master. You know, these these guys are masters at what they do." Um, and the bagpipes are also an ancient instrument. And it was actually the accordion. The, the idea is that the accordion and the organetto evolved from the bagpipes because it's very difficult to play bagpipes. Typically, bagpipers are very big, burly men because you need a lot of strength. It's a um, lot larger than the the Scottish bagpipe. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. Can you describe it a little? Now, I'm very interested in the bagpipes. My my father plays the the Scottish Highland Highland pipes, so really? it's a really special sound to me. So I'm so glad we're wow. talking about the bagpipes. I would love for you to tell me more. Describe those to us. Think of what. Think of it. the 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 bladder is actually an entire goat skin. So imagine how big wow. that is. Yeah, it's pretty big. <laughs> and then they have a giant, uh, you know, the, the the wooden part that holds it all together is, is quite large. And there's usually four um, uh, individual pipes that come out of that. That will, And they're going to play all those four pipes. And then they have their, their, um, their pipe that they breathe into on top. Uh, and so they're squeezing that and breathing into it at the same time as they're playing it like... Um, you know, I need to use my hands. They're playing it. They're playing the, the holes like uh, like a flute on that as well, on all those four pipes. Um, and it's identified, bagpipes are typically identified with the Christmas season, also with the Easter season, but primarily Christmas. And it was this idea, it was music of the shepherds, because who else would get their hands on a goat skin? Um, and it was this, also this idea of using the entire animal. You know, it was maybe an older goat that was not well, or it eventually had to be, you know, uh, slaughtered for the meat. Um, and also this idea of making music out of whatever was available. So it was the wood and the, the skin. And the shepherds, the tradition is the shepherds would make music for the holidays. They were itinerant. And the shepherds would, um, you know, come down from the mountains at Christmas time and they would make the novenas. Um, we also have a tradition called the strina. And I actually have a strina on my Christmas album. Uh, the strina was in Sicily, it was in Calabria, other parts of southern Italy. And the strina comes from antiquity, strenia, which was a period from early December to uh, first week of January. It coincides with um, November, uh, December 6th, uh, St. Nicholas, to uh, Epiphany. Uh, January 6th, but it was a t in ancient times, it was a time of itinerant music, et cetera, et cetera, and celebrations. And what we've done in the Christmas season is the shepherds make music and they travel from home to home each night and they make music and they stop at a house and they call down blessings on everybody in that house and they make music and then they're invited in because you have to show the shepherds hospitality and they're wined and dined. 
And that's how you receive your blessings. You take good care of the musicians and then you send them on their way and they go to the next house and the next house and the next house. And out of that tradition came different songs. They call them strina. And it's literally different. Just saying that it's Christmas season. We're traveling through the town where we wish, you know, we wish for everybody in this house to have love in their hearts. You know, we wish one of the, the I used to sing with a, a Calabrese uh, bagpiper and his favorite line was, may you have as many blessings as you have laundry in your house. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and you and I know, as moms, right, laundry never ends. <laughs> oh, that's a great saying. I love that. I'm thinking of yeah. a saying in English that, you know, pay the piper. You got to yeah. pay the piper. And that's, See? of course, reminding me of that that transition. Um, there you go. That's so cool. If you, if you were good to the musicians, if you if you wind them and dine them and, and welcome them into your home, then you could receive all those blessings. And I just think that's, a, a as I said, that ties into the old... Um, rituals for Strenia, who was, that was the time year when you gave gifts. That's how that, that's how that came about too. That was for that goddess, you know, Strenia. And it became Strina in modern times. Well, like a hundred years ago. <laughs> when, uh, when my father plays the bagpipes for a wedding, in addition to his fee, he'll, he'll typically request a bottle of scotch and he will let the couple know that the the nicer the bottle of scotch that they buy for their wedding piper, uh, there are some correlations for the the length and, and joy of their of their marriage. Really, that's adorable. <laughs> yeah. So you know, there's a lot of a lot of uh, we're definitely going to have to do something about about uh, scotch pipes, whiskey yeah. at some point in the bagpipes. And I I have never seen the the zampone. Correct. That's zampone. Yeah. Zamponia, thank you. I've never seen it in real life, but I I love the Beautiful. sound, and yeah. I I would love to see you playing, playing with, playing and performing with this this instrument. That's um, we'll have to make that happen. I was reminded when you were talking about the bird bone story, which is incredible. The American folk song, "The Dreadful Wind and Rain." Do you know what oh, song know I'm what talking about? It no, yeah, it it's it's uh it's interesting. We're all connected and sometimes I know that we're influencing each other, other humans from all over the world, and sometimes it seems we just come up with the same ideas on our own. Yeah. And uh those things there is this song and it's really quite similar. There's a kind of a revenge situation and in this case uh, a fiddle is made out of the bone of the wronged person and the fiddle sings the song of what happened. There's many, many versions of it. And yeah, maybe you should perform it sometime. Oh yeah. I gotta look this up. Can you tell us a little more about the musical projects that you're working on right now? Yeah, I am. I just uh, finished a tour with a dear friend of mine, Fabio Turchetti. So we're trying to develop, um, Believe it or not, <laughs> we're trying to develop a swing project. Um, I don't know how Italian that's going to be, but it's 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 it came about from a tour that we did in California, and we are also delving into some early music, um, meaning things like from the Baroque. Uh, there'll be some Sicilian songs in there, but with regards to the Sicilian music, I got a, a couple things happening. Um, collaboration with the group in Sicily Ibedi. And specifically with them, we want to try to incorporate, and this is where the two projects kind of are overlapping. We want to try to incorporate uh, some American folk music with the Sicilian folk music. And then what I'm doing here uh, with performances starting little by little starting is I'm trying to show people what happens to this music after the Sicilians immigrated to the U.S., because they brought with them amazing traditions. Like they brought with them the tradition of music in the barbershop, the tradition of music, singing music while you, you worked, toiled in the fields and toiled at work. Um, 
itinerant music, um, the idea of music for funerals, that kind of thing. And what happened here, once they got to the U.S., they didn't stop making music. They became instrumental in the American music scene. So we have a, a tremendous amount of amazing, amazing songs and seminal songs in the, the body, the corpus of American music and all different genres that were from Sicilian immigrants and Southern Italian immigrants. So I, I want to, besides continuing with the Sicilian folk traditions, I want to start adding these American songs and imprint in them a little bit of Sicilian sound to see, to show people that this is a continual, we call it a filo conduttore, no? the, or a, a nastro rosso, the red ribbon that continues, that, that continuous line that never ends of these traditions and how they evolve. Talking about migration, mutation, influence, you know, things, crossings, you know, I think it happens with grapes, it happens with language, and it happens with music. So what do you think of the term dialect in terms of uh, as a descriptive term? Typically, if there is a the rule of thumb would be typically if there is a, a strong tradition of literature, it'd be considered a, a language. And, you know, Sicilian, like, just to give you an idea, like, Sicily, yes, Sicily, because the sonnet was invented in Sicily. We had um, the story is, too, that when Dante was writing the Inferno, he had to make a decision. Do I write it in the Vulgate, which would be the Florentine dialect, or do I write it in Sicilian, which is the language of literature? And he decided to write it in the, the Vulgate, and that kind of was where the turn happened, that, you know, Sicily was no longer, it wasn't considered the language of the, the, the learned anymore. It was, you know, um, but Sicily has uh, different verb structures, which are interesting. Sicily does, typically does not have a future tense. And the past is past absolute. There's no past participle. It's there's no uh, excuse me present past. There's no simple past. It's whatever you did, you did it. It's done. It's like so when you and and I always use this example because it's one of my most favorite things. When you go to a Sicilian's house and the old lady asks you if you've eaten, they don't say I mangiato. They say mangiasti. And when we were kids, we used to joke around, like, what, like, did we eat in, like, what, the 1600s? Is that what that means? Like, mangiasti. But they said, so they said, mangiasti, you, did you eat? Um, and there's no future tense. And that was always, you know, people would say, like, well, like, are they that hopeless in Sicily? Like, are they that resigned? Like, there's no, there's no, not a future tense. Um, verbs are conjugated differently. Certain verbs are conjugated. Certain verbs are reflexive that wouldn't be in Italian. Um, and... Obviously, the the endings on the words, you know, the L, like nocciola becomes nucidi, L, bedda, instead of bella. Um, but, you know, there are words that you have in Sicilian that are just completely different than Italian, you know, because it comes from the Spanish, it comes from the French, it comes from the Arabic. Oh, my goodness. It's been so wonderful talking to you. I'm going to send uh, all of our listeners again to your website, M-I-C-H-E-L-A-M-U-S-O-L-I-N-O. Yes. Excellent. Dot com. And uh, I'll put that in the show notes as well. Please, you know, support Michaela. These are wonderful presents for people, for all of your friends who love music or language or Christmas, or bagpipes. There's many different. Uh, this is a this is music for everyone, and I just want to say thank you so much for for coming in and talking with me today. Thank you for having me. This is a lot of fun. 
I was yeah. really nervous. I didn't know. I'm like, what am, what am I going to tell this woman? I don't know what, like, what is she? But we had, I, there's so much more <laughs> that we can talk about too. So I know I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to have you back on the show sometime and to talk about with you more. Uh, people can also look at your website to find out when and where you're performing. You perform all over the world. So uh, what a wonderful thing that you've done to, um, to study these things and keep these traditions alive. I was thinking of the people who are maintaining these these special cane uh, reed flutes and, and goat skin bagpipes and all of the technical and uh, research aspects that are required in keeping these traditions yeah. alive and with, with wine as well. Bring the story of culture forward. You're a musician, but you're also a historian and, and a librarian in a sense. A geek. I'm a kind of a history geek. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so thank you so much for speaking with me again. And to all of our listeners, thank you. Uh, wherever you go and whatever you drink, always remember to enjoy your life and never stop learning. Follow Moto Di Berry on YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok for even more unique and encouraging drinks and language content. If you'd love for the show to continue and grow, support Moto Di Berry on Patreon and unlock bonus episodes. Find out more at mododiberry.com, where you can also read the blog. Music for the podcast was composed by Ercilia Prosperi and performed by the band Oh. You can purchase their recordings at oumusic.bandcamp.com.